This is the No Switch Fitness Podcast. We want to help guide your journey into developing your best physique. With your host, Luke Miller. Hey guys, welcome back to the No Switch Fitness Podcast. And we today have a returning guest, a very good friend of no switch fitness in general and the podcast and Nick Gloff. Nick, how are you doing today? Good, man. It's good to be here. Good. Good to hear. So this is like a, a quick catch up. Like how are things your way with training and, and, and just the whole process and how things are going and uh, just kind of a life update for Nick. And then we'll go from there. Well, things are going pretty decent right now. Uh, for people that do follow me and keep up, I have been having some knee issues with my training recently. So that's been really the biggest thing that I've had to deal with as far as negatives go. So it's just some quad tendonitis from some really being mostly inactive, like most coaches, not getting all of our steps in or really being as active as we should be having the seated position all the time, Yeah, having hip flexors get way too locked down and then trying to go and train legs kind of ends up irritating your legs a little bit. So, and once you've got it set in motion and it starts creating a problem, it ends up becoming a longer term problem. That's not easy to fix in a day. So it's one of those runaway issues that I'm going to give the PSA here as personal experience. If you're a guy that sits on your computer all day, answering WhatsApp messages and check-ins and emails and stuff, you should probably get up and walk every once in a while because it's not all that great for you you might last a while but it's not going to last forever so. yeah yeah i've uh i've had to make myself because like the more my client load gets the more i have to like be conscious of it like putting my meal times in my schedule so that i go eat and i go do like five to ten minutes of steps after each meal yeah. uh good for digestion but just like getting my steps in, in a day is just like not happening if i'm not doing that kind of stuff because we train late. And so like, I get to like five 30 when we're at the gym, it's like, fuck, I've got like 2,500 steps. Like how am I supposed to get to 10 by the yeah, end? Exactly. Of the day, right. <laughs> so, yep. uh, well, for today's episode, I think, uh, one of the big things we need to, we're going to be doing is just answering your guys' questions and making sure that, uh, we, we cover them in depth because, um, we do topic specific ones all the time and, and it's just good to kind of take a step back and answer some questions for you guys. And I can't think of someone better to do that with the Nick. So, um, we're going to kick it off with a training question. So, um, first one to kind of start is what do you think of training six days a week while doing PPL instead of doing a rotation for PPL, um, positives and detriments. And Nick is shaking his head for those who aren't watching the video. Um, and yeah. I'm going to let him take off with the start of this answer. Yeah. So part of the why we do a push pull legs anyway, is because of the fact that it's higher frequency on bigger things that we need. You're not dividing it by shoulders and arms and chest and back, or even width day and thickness day for your back and legs or hamstrings and then quads and then maybe you have a glutes and a calves day or something and maybe you train your forearms too i don't know how that works but um, we don't split it up that that way we do a push pull legs because we're trying to condense a lot of high quality work and a lot of large patterns into those days of the week and we're repeating them on a cycle so that we can get all that high quality work in on the session that we're doing. And then we can have those stack upon each other week after week, or rather, rather than week after week, because this is asked as a week cycle. And that's a separate point. We're going to be doing this over a seven, nine, 10, 11, however many days it ends up being with all the things included, the actual cycle time, which would be a cycle week is what I would say. Yeah. So we're not that. So I'll just move right into it. You're not going to be able to recover from doing six days of your week and then doing a second week of it. And then a third week <laughs> and a fourth week, we're training six days a week on a training split that is specifically built to be as dense of work as you can do. Yeah. Yeah. This is just not going to work. It's a recipe for. <laughs> deloads every five weeks and not really even creating a, a runway which is a topic for discussion probably on another day for both of us to rant on but just from like yeah. a 
an SA standpoint, like understanding what it takes to acquire a skill like deloading every five weeks is probably not the greatest way to go about things. So when you're considering like PPL guys, like either operate under the confines of the rotary passion or fashion, whether that's two on one off, three on one off or whatever variation you choose. And if from a schedule perspective, you have to um, do like the same days per week, which is kind of like what I do. Like I do training the same days every week just to keep my schedule um, on, on tack. Um, you can create a modified version where you pull volume from whatever body part you feel is your strongest. And that way you're still kind of operating under the confines of PPL. Um, or you could even just let the rotation run and train the same days every week. So that would be something like if you trained Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, you would do PPL push pull. And then the next week would just start with legs and just kind of let it run. That way you're still spreading it out where you can recover. Um, but please don't do six days in a row of PPL because you are going to trash yourself so quick. Yeah. And a separate point on that. And to say you're being pretty generous with deloading after five weeks, make <laughs> it three with that. And because I know somebody is going to ask you or me, like, well, I, I'm I'm doing that, but I can recover. It's like, listen, if you're doing that, you've already set your baseline. It's like the people that train literally seven days a week. They're like, I don't know, it's working fine for me. It's like, okay. You have the perception that it's working fine for you because you've set the baseline of your ability to perform and what your progressions look like based off of the effort you can actually give on the day and how much you can recover between them. And so now your expectation of what's possible is so low. Okay. I can come in and do this and perform like this every single day of the week or six times a week in this example. And you don't think twice about it, but I can guarantee if there's any sort of real quality work being done, you're not going to do that. Yeah. You're not going to survive. You won't make it the three weeks before the deload or five if you're Luke. <laughs> I feel like that was a shot at me from Nick's side. Let it fly. Um, no, but I think that's like one of the big things, right? Is like understanding that kind of the confines of these split setups are built around progressive performance over time and allowing that to hit these glass ceilings, seeing whatever created that glass ceiling, address it, and then do something to modify where we raise that glass ceiling, right? For some people, it's just managing the fatigue over the time span. For some people, it might be a functional adaptation they need to take. But if if you're operating on PPL six days a week and just running straight through, like I highly question your capacity to train. So um, yes. possibly surrounding yourself with people who have done it might be a good way to kind of gain that experience, like who have, who have trained at a high level, have trained these splits, these two-on-one-offs, these PPL variations that are rotary um, in nature, so that you can kind of have an understanding of, oh, this is why we do this. Um, and once once you do that, it's it's pretty easy to understand why we would be saying kind of what we're saying. Yeah, yeah, and especially if you're if you're coming into it and you haven't really been doing push pull legs, and like I would expect for anybody that would ask this question this kind of a rotation or push pull legs in itself is not super familiar to you. The way that you're going to build it up is probably going to be quite far off what from what you're actually going to need for your programming in general. You're either going to do far undershoot or far overshoot with either too much inclusion of big things or too little of an inclusion of the little things that you miss by switching from a body part split to a push pull leg type or an upper lower. Yep. And so with all of those things being where they are and trying to create any sort of a cycle of these larger sessions with larger movements, knowing what is going to be a detriment from days prior into the next sessions, what you can do in those sessions following that are going to potentiate your performance for the next ones is something that you don't know off the front. And you're not going to expect to know that off the front. And it's going to take you a long time to get there, which is exactly to your point either get some help from somebody that does do these that has done them for a long time that puts other people through these programs a lot with lots of different experience levels and lots of different training proficiencies skill within specific movements and how to stack them their recovery ability all of these little factors that you're not going to have top of mind when you build your your exercise list for all of these things 
you need to have a little bit of that backward, like backward thinking knowledge to go, okay, how am I going to put this down that it makes sense in a week from now, not just sitting here writing the sheet like, oh, that looks fun. Cool. <laughs> and then you try it out and you don't make it very far because it ends up smashing you in the face. Yeah. It's so funny. I was on a podcast the other day and the topic came up and I was just like, the more you learn about programming, the more nuanced and harder it gets because there's so many more variables to consider, right? It's so funny how you just, you go blindly at it when you're younger and you're like, oh, this is great. And then you just ram into a wall and it's like, oh, this is not oh, great. You know? But doesn't, doesn't that suck though? <laughs> <laughs> you would expect that you learn more and you're like, oh man, I'm so glad I understand this better. I can put this together. No. <laughs> now when you sit down to write a program you're like staring at it for three hours like oh it's like <laughs> this uh, one set here is gonna make or break the next week what am i gonna do with that have you ever this seen the meme, the meme of the guy the meme of the guy counting cards and there's like numbers all over the the screen that's like how i imagine us programming you know um yep. yeah yeah that, that was a good question i think uh from like a training perspective um, there's numerous number of variables you can consider with this, but just as a generality, like probably stick to the rotation or if you need to just pick what days of the week that you can train on a three on one off, two on one off fashion, um, and then just roll through the sessions that way. Um, that way you're still giving yourself that distance to recover from whatever the sessions are. So, uh, just kind of like the takeaway for that question. So surprisingly guys, you, you guys shot over a lot of nutrition questions. So we're going to kind of transfer over to um, nutrition here. Uh, one of the good ones that I got was around like diet structures and kind of how we structure diets. And if there's a difference between running a diet that's like six days of extremely low carbs with one day of high carbs versus like a deficit across the week that's rather equal. Um, and just to kind of kick off the first point here is uh, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat when we look at fat loss, right? It's just create the deficit, make sure that it happens. Um, a variable maybe not overly considered within the deficit is the performance variable, which is probably forefront in someone like mine and Nick's, Nick's mind. Um, and I see this, the six extremely low, one high construct as a very quick way to run into performance issues um, because you're not able to feed the athlete across the six days that are low for the sessions that fall across those six days. Um, and then you're, you're giving them this high day that might result in one day of good performance. But then what ends up happening is unless they have a rotary schedule, that one day is just the same body part every week. Right. And so it's kind of from a tissue retention standpoint, which is the whole point of keeping training performance high, you're not able to do that across the preps because of this confines of, six low, one high, or whatever it may be. Um, I, I think there is value in some sort of cycling from a caloric standpoint. I think it should be expenditure based to the day. And that's kind of how I start to structure my cycling air quotes, if, if it's more of a caloric cycling more than a carb cycling, right? But um, yeah, that's kind of my first point off the gate. What else you got? I would say it's a little bit time specific. So I would agree with pretty much everything you said. It's just that once you get to the point where you're at the ending points of the diet, where you need to get pushing, it's not going to be as if you're planning the six, six days of going real low into the dirt and then planning for another one as a rotation of days to pipe it right up. It's going to be as a natural result of you having gone through this diet all the way to the stage that you got to do what you got to do now. And maybe your food has to get that low. And at this point in the, in the game, I mean, your performance is going to be what your performance is as much as we can try and save it. There's probably going to be some losses by the end. And so, yeah. you know what you're dealing with and you need to get yourself all the way down. And so you may need a long string of really low days for you to get closer to the end result. And then you have another day that you get more food in to prop you back up again so that you can continue it to, at that point where your food total already is going to be the lowest that you're going to have trying to spread across all of the extra food that you would have in that, that one or two, maybe higher days across all of the days, you're going to be pretty much equally suffering the whole time. 
And so you're not going to get all the effects that you would have from like an earlier stage of a diet by doing it that way with a rotation of really low days and then a high one, really low days and then a high one. It's bringing you arbitrarily low as well in the earlier stages that maybe you're just shooting for as low of a number as you can get going like protein veg with a little bit of carb around your training. And then you're having this big spike in food on one day, but is that big spike in food on one day, if you're actually doing it in any, any controlled manner, is that going to be equivalent to what you did, what you would have had if you had an adequate intake across all days? Yeah. Early stage prep, if you start with a decent amount of food, probably shouldn't even be possible. Yeah. And then you're not going to have a performance increase after having all that food if it does match all the other food you should have been having throughout the week, because you're going to be so stuffed and overblown and full and bloated and terrible that your next training sessions are going to be terrible anyway, for a different reason. Yeah. So, I think context dependent. And just to your point to further, like in those end stages, when you're trying to pull off those last bits, those six low days aren't specifically six days for everyone, right? Like for some people, it may look like four for some people it may look like 10, right? Like, it's just going to be very client dependent. Like, I know for me, I can go a long time on low food without needing to bump back up. Like if, if it's like time to grind, like 10, 12, 14 days is not an issue for me just because like the way down is a lot harder for me than the way back up. Um, and I'm pretty good at retaining tissue. So that's a little bit specific to my process. Right. But it's just going to be so client dependent. Um, and, and how you plan your prep will also tell you how necessary that is. So like, if you plan the timeline correctly and you're kind of pacing, well, you'll be able to implement those high days as needed a little bit more frequently. Um, where if you're behind the eight ball, you're going to suffer more than you need to. So, um, that kind of answers that question really well. I think if you look at it for most, just an equal deficit across all the days is probably the best way to go where the equal deficit is specific to the activity levels of the time. Um, and then going from there. So I think that's a really good one to, uh, to kind of understand when we're talking about preps and diet phases and all of this, these things. Um, hold on one second, Luke. Go Can for you it. hear the construction? Can you hear the construction outside at all? No, not really. No. Okay. Just making sure that so when <laughs> listen to this, they're not like, this is unlistenable. What is going on? Your 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 mic cuts in and out a little bit, but not not where we can't hear you. Um okay. so next thing would be reversing. So this is a good question. So um struggling building muscle uh and read a reverse diet book from from Lane Norton. Uh, been following that. Any tips overall for reversing? out of the diet phase and what that looks like. Kick it off. Sure. So depending on where you're starting, you're going to want to make a sizable jump off the start so that you're not just adding tiny little increments of food back and then trying to hold your condition for forever. If you're in good condition already by the time of the end of your cut, which should be the goal in the first place, if you're listening to this and this is your question, or you have the same question, and you went through a diet phase, but you didn't actually get lean before you decided to come out of it, doesn't apply because adding a whole bunch of food then, you really just took a break from eating more food to eat a little less food to then eat more food again. It doesn't matter. Okay? But if you're actually lean, you're going to need to give yourself a good, sizable bump of food to start with. Yeah. Because if you actually got there, then you have some effects that have taken hold over the period of your dieting that you're now going to have to give a good stimulus to start to reverse and change direction for. Yeah. So metabolic down regulation, you're moving a little bit less, all of the, all of those other things that I'm sure you read in, in Lane Norton's book, because I'm sure there's a chapter on all of them. Yeah. Yeah. All, all of those things are going to be in play and they don't just start to disappear on their own. You need to give them time and you need to give them the amount of food that will allow your body to recognize that it's no longer in a state that it has to preserve itself. Yeah. So first bump, sizable bump, maybe take 20% of what you're already eating, add that on top. 
see where that brings you. If you have a really big jump in weight and you can identify that it's water because it happened in a snap so quick, don't worry, it's water. If you start having a steady 0.2, increase of your weight across days, across days, across days, you make it a week and a half and you put on three pounds, you probably went too far. Yeah. And so peel it back a little bit more, drop it back to 15 or 10% of what you initially brought up with, test that and do the same process. And then wait as long as you need to wait for you to hold steady, watch your performance start to come up, watch the diet fatigue related things that you were feeling during the diet start to ease away, watch for you to come back to life and then make again, very small incremental jumps after that point as you've now escaped the point where you're actually in the preservative mode. So you can start adding a little bit more food and a little bit more food. And then once you've got enough weeks where your weight isn't really reactive to immediate food increases, you've pretty much breached yourself into being out of the reverse diet stage. And now you're in an off season stage where you can start doing that regularly. Yeah. I think uh, where a lot of people go wrong in this phase is, I look at this on a spectrum of reverse to recovery diet where like recovery is on like the very aggressive food ads where literally your only goal is to get body fat back up just from like a hormonal function standpoint, your, your females will probably lean a little bit closer to this recovery type side of the diet. And then reverse being like this micro addition for very small incremental weight gain over time. And I think that that's probably even more detrimental than the recovery, just because yeah. you, you end up in this place where the diet adaptations have stuck with you 12, 13, 14 weeks after the diet, like you're very food focused. Um, performance probably hasn't taken the jumps it needs to take. So uh, I, I like to find kind of like that sweet spot between recovery and reverse, depending on a client's proclivity to accumulate fat. So like for me, like I'm pretty quick to accumulate fat. So I'm, I'm definitely still towards recovery on the spectrum, but less so than someone like a Mitch who's going to be able to eat food and not put on a ton of body fat and um, do all that. So that's kind of where like knowing where you are in the spectrum is important. Cause like coming out of a diet phase, when I get lean, it's really strict off of the cuff, like the first four five, six weeks, very structured, very um, measurable so that, I'm not getting into this fast fat accumulation because we have data and I've talked about this before um, where we, we see our proclivity to accumulate fat is a lot higher in that post diet phase than it is to accrue muscle tissue. Um, that data is from like post contest prep individuals. And so uh, we, we need to be able to understand what this phase is about. It's about getting rid of these diet adaptations. And if you look at it that way, it should be built around that. Um, so that six, seven, eight weeks from the diet, you're not, you're not feeling a lot of those. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I think a lot of people mess this time up, whether they go too far one way or the other. And I think, um, when we look at just like dieting in general, it's just the rate at which you come back up is relative to how lean you got. So the leaner you get, the faster you'll come back up and so forth and so on. Right. Yep. Kind of part of the point of why, if you didn't really diet, none of it applies to you. Cause if you <laughs> tried to diet, you didn't get lean, you add 20% of your current intake. You're, you're sitting, sitting pretty there. It's not going to do you any good. You come all the way down, you're going to have some things to fight off and your body's going to need some help. And so the food off the gate is going to be a better idea than trying to just give it a little bit and a little bit to try and hold on whatever leanest you are, regardless of whether or not you were somebody that puts on fat quicker, slower, you're going to need a little bit of help out of the gate. If you try to hold on to it too long, you have problems. If you try to reverse it too quick and do it, do it in an uncontrolled manner, you're going to have problems quick too. So exactly sitting somewhere in the middle where you need to be for what your proclivity is, but somewhere between the two is going to be a good place to be. Yeah. And I think, uh, you could even pull a training aspect of this question into the into the constructs of the com- conversation too, because I think the the programming and the training post diet or post show or whatever, if you're getting getting pretty lean, is something to consider as a part of the diet 
um, just from like what volume can you handle? What movement patterns can you handle? That's probably an important one to understand too. Um, from a program perspective. And I think we could start to get into the details of some of that because I think it would add value. Um, I think a lot of that first phase should be very, very, very lower on the volume scale, um, especially off the cuff, like creep it up over time, but off the cuff um, and more so addressing possibly some of the issues we've seen across the diet phase from like a injury profile or functional viewpoint that we've, we've, we no longer have or whatever it may be um, and starting to restore that before we challenge positions that are going to require a lot of that from us. Mm-hmm. It's going to end up being first taper as your taper into competition is going to be a true taper, bringing things down as the need for the stimulus starts to pull down. What your ability to produce starts to come down. So you don't overdo it because you can't overdo it and still retain the tissue. On the other side of it, you're still not escaped from the same internal environment that you were in. You're starting to put the foot forward out of it, but you're not there yet. And so starting from there, we do end up running into issues over the period of the prep. Any diet phase, you're probably going to have something that comes up. And so we're going to have, depending on what you're looking to do in the next stages, what's going to be important for you, what movements do fit you very well and what ones don't, you're going to start playing around with all the little things the little nuances that are going to add up to making your bigger patterns and the things that you have specific weaknesses in that need to be brought up, getting attention paid to there so we can take the time while you're not going to be all that ready to put on a lot of tissue. You're building back up your capacity under to build that tissue through the training that comes next. Yeah. 100%. Building up little by little, your ability to put in effort without having to get crushed by the effort your recovery levels are going to come up and there's a litmus test for how far you can take everything, keeping the volume at a fairly low base, seeing how much you can get improvements to jump on those things while you're keeping your effort levels in check and overall exercise number and frequency and everything of the like. And then making sure that whatever we do have a problem with, we're putting in some sort of work to help bring ourselves out of them introducing patterns that we don't really typically get to do while you're fatigued and dieting and you're probably not going to do them anyway. Things like a front foot elevated split squat. If you've got real bad issues with trying to keep your center of mass over your foot on any sort of a big compound pattern that you need to use the barbell for things of the like that you're probably not going to do that. We don't really have much of a need for by the time that we have to rely on ingrained learn patterns. Once you're dieting, once you're all the way in, we're not changing anything unless it's going to be something that's going to cause you a direct injury. If it has a mechanism involved, it's getting played with. But other than that, trying to make big macro adjustments to things is not going to work. The yeah. time for that, once you've pulled pulled everything back, you already know and there's an awareness that we're not going to be able to do all the, the growing. We're not going to get the magic rebound here. So this is not the opportunity for us to throw everything out and try to do everything possible to try and build as much tissue because it's not going to work. It's the time to build the foundation that started to little by little get eroded away while you were dieting. Yeah, 100%. I think just as like uh, something as an example, like um, for me, like across my last diet phase, my knee was my biggest issue, right? Patellar tendon issues on my left side. A lot of things causing that, but um, it's going to take time to really feel comfortable under a bar again. Like I remember coming out of that, that was like first week of July is when we stopped. Um, It was like late August before I felt comfortable under a bar again. And then I ended up pinging it again, like late September. And it's just now like February where I'm very confident and not having to think every squat pattern, like, uh, like an analytics, right? It's just, it's, it's going to take time. Um, and that's kind of where we really need to understand that we're setting the confines of the off season in that first eight weeks. And so don't do it all, do what you can. And then you can do it all when it's, when it's time, once some of those adaptations are starting to leave. Do what you can and prioritize. Yeah. Prioritize. That's a big one too. Um, 
And I think what you'll see too is like, just as like a finalization of this is like on the prioritizing part, a specialization block is not going to be very prudent coming right out of the diet phase because specialized blocks need a lot of recovery capacity to be able to manage. So it's going to be a little bit more of a general setup. I mean, you can bias it with things like um, what you're training first, maybe what you're training after a rest day, those kinds of things. But yep. relative landmarks for these body parts aren't going to be overly skewed until you get past that little post-show phase, which is for most going to be eight to 12 weeks, right? So um, that's when you can really start playing with these specialized cycle variations and then move it from there. The post-diet post specialization is going to be in the name of skill rather than in the name of trying to build tissue. Yeah. It's skill and then functional discrepancies that you need to to bridge for you to do things well once you have the ability to actually enact a specialization cycle or get into full full training that is going to be productive at some point. Yeah, 100%. Uh, cap over that. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's it for that question. I think a good question to kind of follow off of that would be how to identify when to go on a diet break slash mini cup during a surplus phase. Um, you want to start? Sure. So most often what I end up seeing with my guys that need it is that they just can't handle their food anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to get. So that. yeah, exactly. Like there's just no hunger. Like you had to push it little by little incrementally with the food as time went on to get everything up and try to keep on pushing the tissue accrual. But at some point you get as creative as you want with the food sources and <sighs> give them the rice crispy treats and, uh, and all the rest and eventually even the easiest sources it ends up being a little too much and yeah. so especially people that are the people that can i feel bad for these guys too especially my guys that i have to talk to about <laughs> this that i'm writing up their diet and i'm like man oh that's gotta hurt like 6500 calories in a day and they're yeah, like, like five five seven five six like 200 a little bit over 200 <laughs> i'm like damn oh that sucks <laughs> yeah so like that's the biggest one is like handling your food in in handling your food it's not just how much you can fit in your stomach and your body wants to digest and get out so you can get all your meals in throughout the day it's going to be what is that effect it's going to have on your gastric emptying which changes how well you clear your blood sugar which changes your energy levels throughout the day and how your training goes, your general mood, how your sleeping is and everything else just starts to like take a tank. So yeah. BG is going to be really good to watch because that starts to trail its way up and we know that that's coming. Digestion starts to get weird when food sources have been fairly consistent. They're pretty easy to digest for the individual. And we've gotten to that point over the period of an off season that we know that they're pretty good. They're starting to give you issues. Those are the major things I see. And those are the major reasons to pull back that I end up running into. Yeah. And then like, uh, just to kind of further that conversation, like, you know, there's tools that we can use to kind of combat this, right? Like Gloff had mentioned, like using food, um, obviously using a basal insulin like Lantus is going to help with managing blood glucose and hunger signaling where we'll probably get a little bit more out of the athlete. But I do see like a ceiling with that approach, like not only from a body composition perspective for some people, but um, like the body comp getting too far out relative to the timeline that's in play. But when we look at like some of these other metrics, like obviously watching blood glucose still creep pretty high when we have like 20 IUs Atlantis in, um, you'll see them in that like 100, 105, 107 area. And it's like, man, we might be getting to the end of this phase. Um, but on top of that, like, uh, sleep issues starting to arise. So like, um, even with a CPAP in play, like if sleep apnea is being addressed, you'll still see sleep issues start to arise. Um, estradiol management, this is one people don't consider. So as like body fat is creeping up, our rates of aromatization are increasing. Um, and so we'll see like that chronic state of oxidative stress with like blood glucose being high recovery, starting to diminish and cardiovascular adaptations lowering estradiol management is becoming an issue and you're like running these cycle designs that are 
minimalistic and like test and maybe you're even having to acutely throw an AI in um, there towards the end. And so those are the kind of things that are like, you'll even see like blood pressure management becoming a problem, right? Because we see that estradiol elevation, we'll see blood pressure issues with that estradiol elevation. You may even have lactics in play, like a ARB, like a telmosartan or something. Um, and, and we still see it become a problem. And so that might be the sign of like, hey, like whatever metric it is that's kind of getting skewed pretty fast, might be time to just like pull out of that and, and diet break or mini cut. Um, and then I think the other one too is like just staying on your timeline, like not putting yourself in a position where the timeline is just un, unachievable would be the word, I guess. Like if you're trying to hit a show at an X time frame, like don't let yourself get out of the confines of still making it to that show on time. Yeah. Was this question specifically on a long term or is it just for a mini cut? It was just for mini cut diet break. Um, but I think where people go wrong in deploying it is not having the timeline built out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like for some people, it may be like, it may not be the metrics that are causing the issues to arise that, that causes you to pull into it. It may literally just be making sure that person makes it to a show on time that forces yeah. the deployment of the mini cut or diet break. So, yeah, that was a good question. Uh, anything else you wanted to add to that? I had one. Let's see. Let's see if it comes back to me. <laughs> it's it, the, the wheels are turned and the cogs are turned. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you ask me, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, I think I have it. So, in terms of a diet break, too. Um, the major point here is all the things that we did discuss, all of the variables that we're starting to see skew that are aside from the timeline, is that you're seeing all these things skew and pretty much everything starts to hit the fan. The idea of the diet break isn't necessarily to get fat off. So like diet breaking in itself is not going to be the ideal method in play for you to start pulling down fat tissue. It's not a progressive measure really. You're going to have to put the pedal to the floor real quick. You don't have a long-term basis of being able to get that to work. It's a really aggressive measure so that you can start to get more of these variables that are starting to push their way out of means of being reasonable back into a place that they are again so that you can push yourself back into a surplus in that productive time. And so keeping that in mind as well is that this isn't a method of stringing across like you always have your head in competitor land. So I'll speak to the guys that aren't exactly in competitor land just yet <laughs> trying to get themselves there is that if you're, if you're on a prep timeline, then yeah, knowing what that ultimate date is that you have to be ready for is going to determine a lot for you for what, whether you're going to have the time to do a mini cut here. Do you have the ability to just go right through? Do you have to stay in the surplus for this period of time? Do you have to start the diet early because of whatever reason? You don't have any of that present and you're just somebody that's trying to build up tissue year over year right now you don't have that in mind going through a surplus phase and just going and going and going starting to see issues pop up the blood pressure estrogen management blood glucose sleep issues digestive issues energy throughout the day all of these things starting to hit you in the face maybe doing a mini cut isn't going to be your greatest idea because by that point especially if you're not super experienced, you're probably going to be at a point that you should do a long-term long diet anyway so that you can get yourself down. What the competitors have in their pocket is the fact that they're competing. So they know that at some point in this next year or year and a half that they're going to be competing. They're going to get all the way down so they have that opportunity to start the cycle back over again. Yeah. If you're not doing that, then you just continuing to push up for a period of time until the shit hits the fan. Then you have to just kind of like lean yourself back out of it a little bit. You're like, okay, we're cool. Let's go. And then you just try to do it again and again and again. You're going to end up in bad territory more often than not. Yeah. And it's going to end up being really unproductive. Yeah. 100%. I think that's, uh, I always talk about like a slingshot effect. It's, it's, you can diet to the point where, you get lean enough to restart the whole cycle again, but not where mm, you're kind of really getting into the tissue retention struggle struggles, right? Yep. Like from yep. a, from a timeline perspective, just like kind of like that inside six weeks of a show, 
where like yep. if you tie it to that six weeks out mark, you're probably in a pretty good spot to really push an off season. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of like where there is a lot of value in those longer term term diets is like, it could really just hit a reset button for you, you know? Um, and I think yeah. it's very, very important to understand that if the show in six months, eight months, nine months, 12 months is not looming, it, that the the need for a, uh, a longer diet is probably a better way to go about it than just like a yes. in our diet break. So yeah, no, that's a great Holy point. Sorry, I can't, I can't help it. I have every single person on my list, like show date here, show date here, show date here. That's like all I think about. I, I get it. Um, I get it, man. It's not a problem. I just gotta, gotta make sure that I'm keeping you in line here. Make yeah. sure you're hitting your full audience. Bring it right back into the, into the full audience spectrum. So, uh, Glove, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got a booth thing to pick up from the airport. Um, but I think we, we covered got a few minutes left if we have another. Yeah, we can do one more. Let's 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 knock out one more. Um, do you want to do coaching courses or clenbuterol and blood glucose? Um, I'll let you cover clenbuterol and blood glucose because you're the you're the guy you're the guy with drugs. <laughs> I mean, any information that I have on drugs is going to be secondhand from somebody smarter than me. <laughs> so I just let you guys do it. Oh man. <laughs> I, this is one of my clients asking that question. I'll just send that response to her directly. Um, for <laughs> coaching courses, certifications that you recommend, um, I'll let you start because I'm a little biased in my opinion. I think I am really deeply involved with what I think may be one of the, the best ones on the market. But um, yeah. Um, so I get a lot of questions similar to this. Uh, a lot from guys in college or people that are going to be in college and doing exercise science and these things. Um, one of the, one of the things that needs to be kept in mind when you're trying to figure out what you're doing is that if you're really plugged into what like guys, like the two of us are, hence why you're here, you're going to have a really, really hard time finding any sort of a course that gives you the information that either of us directly have. So I want to come out with that. So you're not going to find a course that is going to tell you all the things that we have in both of our heads or what's in John Jewett's head or what's in any of these guys that are up here, uh, you know, with the hot mic talking about these things off the cuff. Yeah. You're not going to go to a course and just get it all. You're not going to go to a course and become a, an amazing bodybuilding coach or powerlifting coach or whatever. It's just not going to happen that way. It's going to be a lot of information that you get from a lot of sources that you see enough times that you digest and aggregate until you synthesize your own understanding of it so that you can utilize it and push it into your own practice and your people. Yeah. So that's the first thing. But then from there, I would say a good baseline, even though a lot of the information is outdated, would be a CSCS. Yeah, so that's have one of those. Yep. So it's a little bit outdated with their information. Some of it in there, especially if you look at the newest information we have going, like they even have, I hope they updated it since, but they even have the hormone hypothesis stuff in there. Yeah. With, yeah. Like <laughs> hormones with training compound movements. And that's why they work. Like yeah, no. that stuff is all completely like, there's a lot of stuff in those, in those books and certifications, even the ones that are most respected that have way, 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 way outdated information that we know a whole lot better now. And so no matter what certification course, most likely you're going to do, especially ones that are going to get you able to do something in person within bigger companies is there's good ones. There are really good certification programs that are out right now. And we'll talk about them as well, but they're not going to be as recognized yet for them to be, you know, you walk up to local gym, big chain gym, you want to be the head manager because you have the education, you have the certifications. You don't show up with a CSCS. They're going to be like, all right, well, you're going to start at entry level trainer here and we're going to see how you do. And we're going to take 45% of every dollar you make and we're going to see if you survive. It's going to be what it is. Even if you have the information that the two of us sit with, it's still going to be the case because it doesn't matter. So starting with something like that, if you're an entry level coach, trainer, whatever, 
doing stuff in person, good idea. Start there. I wouldn't go with an ACSM route. I would just leave that on the shelf. <laughs> my, my college degree was pretty much an ACSM degree after everything because it was an accredited program and it was all just clinical stuff. And if you want to learn how to train an 80 year old decrepit woman with diabetes, sure. ACSM is your, is your thing. Do it. If you want to do something with people that can actually move their bodies and, you know, in a non-dysfunctional manner for more than like 10 minutes at a time without almost dying, not going to work. Yeah. I would move towards for stuff that is going to be more applicable for what we do. Prescript would be the number one that comes to mind. Jordan. Which, yep. Jordan Shallow, Jordan Genta, Killian Hamilton, the whole crew. Those guys would be the ones that I would go to first. So they're going to have a good basis for all the things that you are going to need to know. Yeah. Aside from obviously some extra courses that are going to have to be generated in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say on their point though, because uh, I'll, I'll just keep going on this, is that if you don't have a fair understanding of anatomy and physiology as you're walking into a prescript course, you're definitely going to struggle. Yeah, you need so to have a, very, yeah, go ahead. An underlying basis of understanding of what the human body does walking into it to gather all the value out of it. Um, yeah, Jordan talks about this a lot with like coaches coaching the human body should probably know what the human body does, right? And so having some sort of baseline, baseline understanding is good because he, the pre-script courses will directionally point you in the right direction of the application for sure. Yeah. You do need to know what's going on though. Cause if you sit on a lecture with, with Jordan and try to understand a single word that comes out of his mouth at a hundred miles an hour while he's doing a beautiful mind, things are everywhere. Or like the, the always sunny in Philadelphia meme with the going crazy with all the things on the wall. That's what he looks like when he lectures. And so you're going to need to know what's going on for any single sentence to make any sense to you. So yeah. going through it and then maybe being able to pass the test at the end is not going to do all the value for you that you really understanding it from the beginning. So you can really assimilate that knowledge and use that is so much more valuable than any other part of the certification. And for you to do that, you need to have a base. Yeah. So I would recommend all of their courses. So take your time, get through all of them. I would recommend it very highly. And then from there, I would probably say that's that's good for a base of understanding. I would also look for RTS. RTS is also very good, which some of the ideas in there are going to be a little bit less applicable, but it's going to be even further deeper understanding of internal mechanics. Yeah. And definitely the physics side of things, where if you don't understand external physics, you're not going to understand internal physics or biomechanics. Yeah. So having an understanding of that allows you to be able to actually look at the human body and have an understanding of component parts rather than only getting a very bite-sized view of the little things, the little systems you've had explained to you prior. Building a systems understanding view of all these things is going to be the most valuable thing that you have. And so going through probably, I would say that those two are the major ones for once you're an established professional, taking it to a level that you're really going to be where you gotta be is gonna be what I'd say. Yeah, and then like some niche specific ones, like um, for us, like in the bodybuilding realm, like I just don't think J3 University is paralleled. Like I think the content that's being put yeah. in there is just just so bar none um, in, in elevating like the, the coaching standard. Um, so obviously I'm involved with that, but it's, it's a very good platform. It's myself and John Jewett. Um, we've got courses coming out on top of the core curriculum. Um, we're actually working on uh, another module now that's going to be very female specific. So it's definitely just always updated with new information and forums and everything to learn from. Um, I think there's a lot of value in some of these apps from an education standpoint. Like, obviously, they're not courses or certifications, but like being on apps, being on forums, having discussions, being willing to be wrong. 
those kinds of things are, are invaluable. Um, but then also looking like at, at mentorships, right. And, and who can you learn from? Because being able to do that is outside the confines of certifications, but it's just going to add the specificity value that you want once you get through those core understandings. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah I, think I would also, plug, uh, I would also plug, sorry to cut you off. Cause I don't, I don't want to forget this one. But I also want to plug uh, Coach's Corner You with Paul O'Neill oh, yeah. and Tony Montgomery. Tony and Paul. Yeah, yeah, Tony and Paul, good people. Um, yeah. Yeah, I actually just started coaching Paul. They're, they're great people. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So they've got a good thing going on over there. Um, very performance-specific-based stuff, but uh, they've got a lot of great content on there as well. So Tony and Paul are both good friends. Um, shout out USF for all three of us being USF alums from the grad program so uh yeah those would be great places to check it out i think that kind of wraps out what i would what i would suggest though yeah probably yeah aside from specifically nutrition stuff yeah yeah i mean yeah yeah there's a there's a bunch on the nutrition side you could run through um i know a lot of people like the precision stuff like the pn pn1 pn2 um but uh yeah, I think that that probably rounds it out. So Nick, just uh, time to do your shameless plug because I know you got a lot of content coming out. Uh, where can yeah. people find out the great things that are flowing from the brain of Nick Gloff? And, and we'll kind of round it out there. Well, everything is centered off of the hub that is my Instagram. So my link tree will have everything in it. I'm getting much more active on YouTube now. So I've got a nice archive of some, some longer videos, a lot of training stuff that's coming and then some more specific things coming in the works. Um, so that you could all find in my link tree. And then further from that, really not too much for me to plug. I've got a whole lot of things that I'm doing in the background that I don't want to talk about yet. Yeah, that's, so. that's all understood, man. We were all doing the same thing. Um, yeah. I think it's kind of like a, a last bit, just make sure you guys check out like the seminars that are coming through on, on my page. Um, we'll definitely be linking up with Gloff for one of those. So uh, we got a lot coming up too in March in the UK and then not going to announce what's going to be the next ones yet, but we've got a couple coming towards the back end of the year um, that will be a lot of fun. So make sure you guys check that out um, until next time. Uh, make sure you guys give Nick a follow. He's a good friend. He's really smart and, knows what he's doing. Um, until next time, no off switch and the results.